dive into the word, but let's pray first to get back on track. Father, we love you today. We bless your name. Thank you so much for your presence. Thank you so much for your word that you have preserved over the last 2,000 years. And we're going to just, I pray that it would, we, would, we would receive that word, that it would do a work in our life, that it would change our life, and help us, Lord, today. Speak through me in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Philippians 1. This is a series in Philippians, and I, I, right now we haven't, it's going so slow through Philippians 1, it may just be a series in Philippians 1. I don't know. We'll see. I think we're just going to have to extend it a little bit because there's so much meat in the book of Philippians, and so uh, we're going to hopefully finish chapter 1 today. But uh, Philippians 1, starting with verse 9, I'm in the New Living Translation. You can follow along on the screen. Verse 9. Paul says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing. Say that with me. Keep on growing in your knowledge and understanding. He says, I pray, I pray that your love will overflow, that it won't just be in, but it will overflow out more and more. The Greek here is an ongoing process, not a one-time deal, not a one-time event. And he prays, that, that, that it would keep on growing, that you would keep on growing in your knowledge and understanding. Last week, we talked about the fact that, uh, uh, and if you, you missed the last two weeks, you can, you can get on your new app. How many downloaded the app? Seven of you. No, actually, we had 200 people uh, to download last week. So if you haven't done that, you can catch up with these uh, that way. But last week, we talked about the fact that Paul prayed in verse 2 that they would have grace and peace. Grace and peace. We also talked what he didn't pray for. He didn't pray for more stuff. He didn't pray that they would have more material things. He also didn't pray for their safety, even though they needed that probably in that very dangerous time. But see, those are American prayers. Okay, I'll just, I'll just leave. No, come on. Those are American prayers. And there's nothing wrong with praying for safety over your children. We do that. But when we allow American prayers for stuff and for safety and for these things to bleed over and to overwhelm true kingdom prayers, we've got a problem. And Paul, that's, that's what Paul's doing here. Now he's praying in verse 9 that their love will overflow more and more and that they would keep on growing. And it's an ongoing process. Look at the screen. One of the most important aspects to our walk with Christ is forward motion forward motion. I mean, it's sort of implied when we say we have a walk with Christ. We don't have a stop with Christ. We have a walk with Christ. It's moving. Movement is the key to discipleship. Movement is the key. Even when you fail, even when you stumble, even when you fall, you can't stay down. You can't stay down. The Word of God says in 1 John 1, 9, if, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what we've been given, to get back up, be forgiven, confess our sins, and then move forward again in our relationship with Christ. You can't stay down. The enemy wants you in shame. The enemy wants you to stay down, and he wants you to stay clear of your purpose. Your purpose is not on the ground. I thought I'd be a little stronger. Your purpose is not laying on the ground in your sin. Hallelujah. Movement is the key. When we grow in Christ, the natural result of growth 
is an overflowing of God's grace and love on the people around us. It's automatic. It's organic. You don't have to force it. If you're growing, if you're learning, if you're moving towards Christ, the people around you will be blessed. It's, it, it's just the way it happens. Do you want to improve your marriage? Move closer to Christ. Do you want to improve your relationships and, and maybe the relationship with your, with your children? Move towards Christ. Do you want your kids to improve? No. If you do, help them. Put them in the right situations and places so that they can move towards Christ. As our relationship with Christ improves, so goes everything else. That's powerful. You need to write that down. I didn't put it on the screen. As our relationship with Christ improves, so goes everything else. Why, Pastor? Why? Because as we get closer to Christ, His voice becomes clearer. And if we listen, if we obey, our choices become better. Let me say it again. As we get closer, we can hear his voice. And if we hear his voice and we follow his voice and listen to him, our choices become better. Our life becomes better. We all know when our choices are better, our life is better. Come on, folks, that's, that's, that's simple. Our life is better. Our relationships are better. Our finances are better. Our job is better. When we make better choices, we thrive. And that's what this whole thing is about. Jesus said in John 10, 3, my sheep will know my voice. All right, pastor, that's fine. How do we do that? How do we walk with Christ? How do we move closer to Christ? I can't see him. I can't see him. How do I move closer to somebody that I can't see? Paul's going to help us with that in verse 10. Let's move on. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. So Paul is saying that the secret sauce to a pure and blameless life and to making better choices is understanding what really counts, what really matters. Understanding what activities are worthy of your time, worthy of your resources, and what things you shouldn't be involved in that are a waste of time and a waste of resources. One of the biggest benefits, listen, one of the biggest benefits of of growing in Christ and getting closer to him is an ever-strengthening foundation on which to stand. In other words, look, we don't have to guess at life. We don't have to guess. Our choices can be very clear. We don't have to ride this roller coaster of an ever-shifting value system of our culture that's trying to be crammed down our throat. We can know and stand firm on what we believe because we have a strong foundation. That's what Paul is saying in one of my favorite chapters for discipleship, Ephesians 4, 13. Paul says, this will continue. What, Paul? What's going to continue? Your walk with Christ, your maturity in him, your spiritual growth, moving closer to him. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature. Somebody say mature. Mature. In, In the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then 
We will no longer be like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. One of Satan's names is deception, deceiver. He's been doing this a lot longer than you've been alive. And one of his most successful tactics is using things and making things sound good that are not. Making activities sound okay that are not. Making a course of action sound right when it is not. He even knows the word, and he uses the word out of context. He knows how to twist things and make them sound good. That's how he tried to trip Christ. Of course, Jesus... He said, the, and the word says, blah, blah, blah. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 it also says. It's his tactic. Listen, and he, the, the, the enemy uses people to speak those things. Come on, the talking heads are good at what they do. You turn on the news, you re watch a program, whatever it is, they're all saying the same thing. God is irrelevant. Religion is archaic. We don't need faith anymore. Come on, we're enlightened people. We're not superstitious. We believe in this and this. We, we don't need God anymore. Well, that's all fine and good until life happens. And they don't have an answer for you. That's all fine and good in the light of day, but when you're in the middle of your darkest hour, you don't need a talking head. You don't need a philosophy. You don't need somebody's opinion. You need guidance. You need truth. And not truth that goes like this depending on the culture and depending on the day, you need absolute truth that you can stand on, that you can stake your very life upon. Now give him the hand clap of praise. Come on, this is not new. This is not new. Atheism, Gnosticism, all this stuff is not new. Psalm 53.1 says, only fools say in their heart, there is no God. People have been saying this for thousands of years. This is not anything new. It should not surprise us. It should not shake our faith if we're standing on him. We don't need talking heads to tell us what to do. We don't need these enlightened fools to force feed a value system that changes faster than they can even keep up with. Why do you think the shows are 24 hours a day? Because they're constantly trying to keep up with it. They can't do it. They never will. When you don't have absolute truth, you have nothing. When you don't have absolute truth, you have nothing. Look at the screen. If we want to thrive, our convictions, our core values must be shaped by the word, not the world. Amen. I'm not sure, okay. Our convictions must come from objective truth. That means outside of ourselves. Not subjective relativism. Every one of us are flawed in this room. What happens if our truth our core truth comes from inside. It's going to be flawed. It's going to be messed up. It's going to lead us the wrong way. 
I mean, what good is truth that is relative, that is subjective? That's what this world is trying to force. You have your truth and I have mine. Don't force any... Don't you dare tell me what's truth. I'll decide for myself. Well, that's, that's, what value is that? Let me help you. None. Doesn't get you anywhere. How many remember the show Family Ties? Everybody that's 40 and older, okay. <laughs> when that show was on one night, we were watching it. And Michael J. Fox, you remember? Okay. Um, I was probably 12 years old or so, and we were watching that show. And... Mallory, the oldest daughter, it was about her that night, and she would come at the age of 17, had a serious boyfriend, the issue of sex came up, and she was being very open and honest to her mom, and my mom, what should I do, and I I just remember this vividly, the mom's trying to help her, but she has nothing, well, you'll know when the right time comes, don't, just don't do anything you're not ready for. You'll know when you're in love. And my mom stopped. She was sitting with me. She used it. She, she probably watched this, and she won't rem- may not even remember this, but I, I remember it vividly. Your kids do hear you, by the way. Use these moments for teaching moments. But my mom, she said, Alan, the world has nothing because they don't have the truth. They don't have anything to stand on. They have nothing. They're just like blind because they have no real truth to stand on, to draw from. Everybody listen. We must have our core values and convictions in place before we are challenged, before the test comes. Students, you can't decide to study during the test. You in trouble. You're going to fail. And it's the same for us. If we wait to decide our convictions and our core values until we are going through the trial and through the fire and through the test of life, we are going to fail. Look at the screen. Our convictions must be anchored and secure before we face the difficult decisions. I got saved when I was about five years old, but I really turned my life over to Christ when I was in seventh grade. Really gave him my heart and my life. And I made, I remember clearly making two decisions in seventh grade. Convictions from the word of God in my heart. Number one, that I was not, when the time came, and it did, when the time came and the parties were coming and I was not going to be a part of that lifestyle of, of, of drinking and partying, doing dope and all that stuff. I just wasn't going to do it. I made a decision then. And number two, I would not have sex before I was married. I am nothing special. I am nothing at all special. But because I determined, hallelujah, because I determined in my heart at 12 years old, those two convictions, God helped me to make it all the way through those tumultuous years and keep those commitments. And that's how powerful it is. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. And if, yeah. 
Of course there's grace and there's forgiveness and there's healing. I'm, that doesn't negate that at all. I'm just telling you, how many would like to dodge some things? Come on, young people. Young people, that sounded so old. <laughs> young people. I used to hate that and now I'm doing it. Young people. Teenagers. Now listen, students, how about that? That's a good one, students. You can save yourself so much heartache and pain by deciding now your convictions and your core value before the test comes. That's the same for all of us. With Jesus, there's always a redo every single day. <laughs> there's a start over every single day. Let's do it. Let's take advantage of that. Paul tells the Philippians, I want you to understand what really matters. He's saying, I want you to have these things settled in your heart so that you can be successful, so that you can thrive in your walk with Jesus. All right, how do we do that? How do we do that, Pastor? We must have a moral compass. We need something that not only tells us, listen, what is right and wrong, but what is trivial and what is vital. Not just right and wrong, but what is really important and what we need to just stay away from. Because listen to me, if Satan can't convince you and, and, and tempt you into some blatant sin, he wants to distract you from your purpose, getting involved with things that don't matter. And that's not just for the students, that's for all of us. He wants to distract us from our purpose, getting involved and staying involved and doing things that are selfish and that distract us from who we really are in Christ. We need a moral compass that we can rely on to always point us to purpose. I wasn't in my notes, but I like that. Point us to purpose. Point us always to purpose, regardless of what's happening around us, regardless of what is in our ear. So it's no big secret how horrible I am and my, my sense of direction is so bad. I've told stories from this pulpit about when I was about 12 or 13 and I went to a friend's house and got so lost in his subdivision they had to call the police. <laughs> True story. Kathy and I are, are, are looking at houses in kind of a house hunt situation and we're going into subdivisions and stuff and I'll be driving. Most people, when they drive, they can get out. If they go in, right? I'll be driving back out and, and every turn the wrong way. Kathy, what, what are you doing? It's that way. It's that way. It's that way. So I bought me a compass. No, I didn't buy that. It's totally for an illustration. But uh, uh, thank God for GPS. It changed my life. That's all I'm saying. It changed, changed my life. And there's nothing more, there's nothing more terrifying than being on a trip in an unfamiliar area and you lose your data. I'm like, well, Lord, I'm coming home. This is a, this is a compass. And the thing about a compass is that it never lies. It always shows you true north. No matter if it's daylight, dark, cloudy, if it's storming, if it's clear, 
Even if they put a blindfold on you and spin you around, you can pull this out and look down and know which way is north and know which way you need to go. God's word is our moral compass. God's word will always reveal not just right and wrong, but what truly matters in life. What truly matters in life. People have been arguing and philosophizing. I don't think that's a word. It's all right. I'm I'm preaching, not you. For thousands of years about the meaning of life. It's right here. It's right here. And this word is under attack. But that's nothing new either. It always has been. People who have determined to serve themselves and not bow their knee to anything, they reject this, and they're going to come up with all kinds of things to reject it. And it's going to increase, not decrease. It's going to increase as time goes on. But do not get nervous. Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will remain forever. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Can you believe I'm already to the big idea? I am doing so good with this New Year's resolution. Don't clap for that. Get offended. Now, listen. Let's look at our big idea. Thriving in the new year means using God's word to navigate the right path and make the right choices. Thriving in the new year means using God's word to navigate the right path and make the right choices. I want to challenge you today. If you are a new believer, and I say any any believer, you've accepted Christ in the last two years, I want to challenge you to read the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the New Testament. Read the whole book, the story of Jesus Christ, how he lived, how he talked, how he acted, how he reacted, and what he did for you. If you want to know about God, you look at Jesus because he was God in the flesh. You want to know the heart of God and the mission of God, you study Jesus. Read the book of Luke and read it in a more modern translation. Don't get, I'm probably get in trouble, but don't use the King James Version I don't, I, it's, it's old Elizabethan language. I, I, I struggle with that. I don't know if anybody else does. I think it's wonderful, the King James. Don't get mad at me. Don't write me an email, okay? I know it's, it's great. I know it's great, but it's hard, harder to understand. The NIV is a very good translation. The NLT, I use that a lot. Even the new King James, if you're going to, you know, whatever. Read the book of Luke. If you've been a Christian for longer than that and you've kind of slipped in your scriptural studies and your Bible reading, I want to challenge you, the beginning of the year, listen, listen, there's therefore now no condemnation. This isn't about feeling bad for not reading enough. we got to get rid of that junk. This isn't about, about, about you know, being on a treadmill and be like, oh, i got to read, i got to read, i got to read, i got to go, i got to read. That is the lie of the enemy. It benefits us. It's not to check a box on a list of things to do. 
you've been a, a Christian and you're, you're not regularly meeting with the Lord and reading scripture, I want to challenge you to set that time again and guard it. Don't schedule something on top of it. Be polite, but say, no, I'm sorry. This, is, this time is booked. This time is gone. Make an appointment with yourself and with God. And I recommend the one-year Bible, Tyndale House Publishing. You can buy the actual physical copy or get it online for free. And here's why I recommend that. Don't start in the book of Genesis and start reading. Come on. You will get bogged down in Leviticus and Numbers, and you will start beating yourself up going, Oh, no. It's hard. It's hard. But with the one-year Bible, it gives you Old Testament, New Testament, a Psalm, and a Proverb every day. And it takes you about 15 minutes to read through it. And that way you can get a piece, and it's, you don't get bogged down anywhere. And you get a, a good balance every single day. I'm telling you, I'm taking a lot of time with this because it's important. If our moral compass is going to be the word of God and the Holy Spirit speaking to us through it and helping us to hear his voice and make better decisions, we need to know what it says. We need to give the Holy Spirit opportunity to speak to our hearts so we can make adjustments. Oh, no. Whoa, nope. Every day. What we do in here is important. It's so important. What you do in your small groups is so important. But having that daily time is vital. It will change your life. It will firm up your foundation. And when those tests and trials and situations come, you'll be able to make the right choice, regardless of what's going on. As we get ready to close, I want us to think about something. We all have convictions and core values, whether you've written them down, whether you've gone through the exercise of actually writing down your convictions and core values, it doesn't matter. You have them. And the way you live your life reflects them. Look at the screen. In other words, your life preaches your convictions. Your life preaches your convictions. So here's the question. What are you preaching? What are you preaching? Are you preaching more about you or Jesus? Paul says, skipping all the way to verse 27 in Philippians 1, he says, above all, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everybody look at me. We have grace in Jesus every day. Thank God for that. We'd be in a lot of trouble. But it matters how we live. It's not a question of, of heaven or hell. Only Jesus can take care of that part. It's a question of how am I going to represent the kingdom of God? How are you going to represent the kingdom? One more scripture from the Old Testament before we go. Joshua 24, 14. Joshua says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away, I love the language here. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. My modern interpretation, throw away 
this worthless value system that is, this culture is trying to cram down your throat. Throw it away. Throw it away. And serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, fine, but make a choice. Woo! Quit riding the fence, quit playing church, quit playing games. Make a choice. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I pray that that's the choice that you make. And I can tell you, as the house of God, new life, this local church, we are going to serve the Lord. And our only foundation is going to be the word, the entire word of the living God from cover to cover, full of grace and truth. It is what we as the elders and the staff use to guide every decision. I'm telling you, church, and I promise I'm, I'm done. You're like, yeah, you just thought you were going to preach less. This is the last thing I'm going to say. As time goes on, and our culture slips farther and farther away from the Judeo-Christian values represented in this book, it's going to be harder and harder to live as a Christian and slide under the radar. Don't wait to make the choice because if you wait the risk is making the wrong choice make it now choose you this day whom you will serve will you stand with me and bow your heads